Good morning, Living Hope. Wow. Um, I had an unexpected day yesterday. I, um, I got a call Friday night from the pastor I used to work for when I was in Missouri, Joe Wilson. He's a good, good friend. I love that guy to death. And he was like, I'm, in, I'm headed to L.A. on business. And he's like, man, I wish you lived closer so I could see you. I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And, and then he, he kind of dropped. He said, uh, I'm thinking about getting a ticket to that UCLA game. Oklahoma Sooners were playing UCLA yesterday. Oklahoma Sooners, hashtag America's team. Anyway, so, <laughs> anyway, uh, he was like, he's like, I was thinking about getting a ticket to that, and I was like, well, dude, if you buy two, I'll come sit by you. And, uh, and so, sure enough, he, he did, and I did, and, and uh, it was great, but I did not get back home until 3 a.m. last night. <laughs> so there's a strong chance I might stroke out in front of you this morning, uh, or at least uh, start drooling and fall asleep in the middle. That happened to my dad once. I actually saw it. My dad, when I was a kid, he was a pastor too, and um, there was a guy, a young man that had come over to the house just and just wanting to study the Bible with my dad, and so they were sitting in the living room, and I I was in the living room too, and my dad was working a full-time job and trying to pastor a church, and he was exhausted all the time, and he's sitting there reading scripture to this young man, and, and while he was reading, just fell asleep. And I remember that guy, that kid looked at me like, what do I do? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's time for you to go, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. But anyway, no, it's a, it was good. It was a great time. I enjoyed seeing Joe yesterday. It was such a blessing to hang out. Isn't it awesome when you get to, especially as Christians, when you get to uh, reconnect with someone that you used to partner with in the gospel and and just how beautiful it is to reconnect and just kind of like it's like time never passes you know and I, I just love that so anyway good stuff um all right so oh that said that said I had <laughs> I had intended on uh doing my sermon slides uh, on Saturday and I was at a game yesterday uh so we have no sermon slides uh, we're going old school this morning so get out your devices your phones follow along if you don't have a device with a bible on it and you need a bible would you raise your hand we'll get a bible to you right now Raise your hand. Ushers, there's a couple hands up. Could, you, could we get some Bibles uh, from the racks? Maybe Joe, you mind running and grabbing? And just put your hand up high. We'll get a Bible to you, okay? All right. There we go. Right here, right here, Joe. And anybody else? Anybody else need a Bible? Okay. All right. We're in Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. If you're using one of the Bibles from the back, I think it's 921 is the page, if I remember right. And I probably don't. All right. So, um, so last week we started this series uh, in Romans that we're calling Reading Romans Backwards. And, and we started off with the end of the book, uh, chapter 16, where Paul just kind of goes through this laundry list of people thanking or, you know, like greeting different people that he was writing to in Rome. He's like, greet so-and-so and greet so-and-so and, you know, just, just sending his greetings and his love to everybody. And we talked about how, how beautiful that list of people was because it is a beautiful body of believers that was meeting in Rome. And not just any body of believers, but a very diverse body of believers. You have people in that group, uh, in that early church in Rome, that were uh, both male and female, who were both uh, Roman and uh, Jewish, who were, um, you know, you know, people who were in the uh, higher class, upper echelon of Roman society, all the way to people who were slaves living, you know, working in people's, other people's house, those people's households. Uh, you have those people using their gifts together in the same congregation. So, 
So because, as we say here often, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, you know, Paul tells us that there's no Jew or Greek, there's no male or female, there's no slave or free, because all of us, no matter what your position is outside of this room, right, no matter what you do for a living, no matter what neighborhood you live in, no matter what your background is as a person or, or who your parents were, we are all on the same footing as followers of Jesus Christ and as members of this body, which is a really beautiful, beautiful thing that the church offers to the world around us. And so, but imagine, put yourself in the shoes of these early believers uh, where you had, in many cases, um, um, household um, owners, um, wealthy people with household servants or slaves worshiping together, and maybe the person who was your household servant has a gift of prophecy, a spiritual gift of prophecy that you don't necessarily have, and God uses now your servant to prophesy into your life. Like, can you imagine the tension that, that might have caused in those early churches and that sort of thing? Like, like who, you know, am I supposed to sit and listen to you? You're my servant. And, and Paul's word to them is, yeah, 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 there is no, there's no slave or free in this setting. Leave, leave those titles, leave those designations outside of the church meeting because when we come here, we're, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. But it did create this really uncomfortable tension from time to time in church life, uh, you know, where, where a woman may, you know, in, in normal society may have no voice at all, uh, nobody care about her opinions at all, uh, might be viewed as a, a piece of property to either her father or her husband or, or whatever else, uh, that same woman might be spiritually gifted in such a way that, that, she, that God is using her and her gifts uh, to bless and benefit the lives of, of the men in that community too. Again, very confusing. When, when, if the ground is level at the foot of the cross, what does that do with all of our titles? What does that do with all of our designations that we pay attention to outside? And how do we work that out in a healthy way inside you know, uh, our church meetings? And so this is, these are the things that they were wrestling with. These are, the things, these are the reason Paul wrote a lot of the things that he wrote, because he's trying to help them make sense of this beautiful community that on paper should be, like, amazing. Amazing. Are you kidding me? There's no... Jew or Greek, there's no slave or free, there's no male or female. That sounds, that level of equality, that sounds amazing. But how do we actually live that out? How do we, how do we work that out and live it in a way that, that is that, but is also aware of the society and the culture that we live in, right? Like, and so it was complicated, it was complicated. So not only, though, was when you, when you joined a body of believers, the same is true today, <clears throat> Not only was there no uh, Jew or Greek or, or male or female or slave or free, but there was also this mix of spiritually strong and spiritually weak coexisting together in the same body. And the two chapters that we're going to cover today, we're not going to read every verse, but the two chapters we're going to cover today deal with that dynamic, the strong and the weak. And I think what we'll see as we keep working through this, this little letter we call Romans is that the dynamic of the strong and the weak in the church was something that, that this letter actually speaks to over and over again. Now, 
I, I have to be honest with you. I am, I, I've been on the weak side a lot in my life. I was not, um, as a young man, I loved sports. I was passionate about basketball. I loved playing basketball and, and um, just, just really enjoyed that. Just, in fact, I obsessed about it. I was that kid that walked around with a basketball in my hand all the time just because I thought that was going to make me better. And, and, so, but, and so off season, I was training and practicing and all, you know, just trying to get better in the off season. And, and, but I was not a kid with a lot of natural talent. I don't have a lot of natural speed. Um, I embarrassed myself in a foot race against my old fat dad in front of all my friends that lived on my street because my dad was talking a big game and I was like, you can't beat me. And I raced him and he whooped my tail. And that was embarrassing. Like I just didn't have a lot of natural physical ability, but I worked hard. Like I worked hard. I, you know, I, I knew my limits and I knew I was going to, you know, if the, the kid who it came natural to that maybe hardly ever had to practice uh, I was going to have to practice a hundred times more than that kid to even have a chance to be on the court with him, right? You know, and so, but I can remember, you know, when you play team sports, and and one of the things that they drill into you with team sports is, it's kind of that military um, sense of you know leave no man behind. You know, we're, we're going to start as a team, we're going to finish as a team, that sort of thing. And I can remember many times, uh, you know, being given the task of maybe you know take off, go run five miles together as a team. And many members of my team that would have finished way earlier than they did because they were encouraging me along and, you know, trying to keep me up and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I've been on the receiving end of that kind of, that strength and weakness dynamic in a lot of areas in my life. Some of you guys know you've helped me do man things around the house and you, you know that's not my thing. And, uh, and you guys have been gracious to come alongside me and, and allow me to hand you the wrench while you, while you do stuff at my house. And so... Um, like, you know, there are just some things. Now, there are some things in my life where, where I feel an area, like that's an area of strength for me that maybe a lot of people around me, it's not their area of strength. And so that's kind of the way the kingdom works, the way the world works. Um, and sometimes that, that designation, it's, it's hard to admit you're the weak. It's hard, it's hard to admit, especially, I, especially as a man, I think it's hard to admit you're the weak. And... Um, and Paul, in, this, in this, this section of the letter, deals with this concept that in church life, in spiritual life, when you're around a body of believers, we have to deal with this dynamic of strong and weak. But Paul's definition of strong and weak, I think, sits a little differently than maybe you think it might sit. Um, what we would look at as somebody who is strong spiritually, you might see here that Paul actually calls that person out as weak spiritually. It's a really interesting, so let's just kind of dive in. We're going to be in chapter 14 of Romans, and um, we're going to start with verse 1. So this is what he says. <clears throat> he says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now, I want to stop right there and just say that that sentence sets the tone for everything else. Don't forget the, the push of that one sentence, accept the one whose faith is weak. Don't despise them. Don't leave them behind. Don't, um, don't make them feel weaker you know, than they are. Don't, don't, whatever. Accept the one whose faith is weak. It's important that when it comes to, you've heard me say this a million times if you've been here very long, that Christianity is not a solo sport. It is a team sport. It is a team sport. 
And you cannot just go do faith on your own. It, our faith was not built for that. It was not meant for that. It was meant to be lived out in community. In community. And so in the same way that I live my family life uh, out in community with my wife and my kids, uh, I can't just go blowing past them, uh, you know, my, my eight-year-olds. I can't just go blowing past them and leave them in the dust just because they can't keep up with my strength, right? That would make no sense. It would make me a jerk as a dad. It'd be funny. It'd be funny to watch. Uh, but it, it makes no sense to actually live out in a practical way, right? That, it just, you just don't do that. No, no, no. As a good dad, as a good mom, you, you recognize the, the weaker ones in the family, and you make sure that they keep up and that they are involved and that they are given opportunities to try and that they're given opportunities to, to feel a sense of, of, uh, of accomplishment or victory or whatever and find their own strengths. You help them find their own strengths, and you do all that kind of stuff because that's what a good and loving parent does, Right? And the same thing is true in church life. We don't just kind of you know, puff up our chest spiritually and go, I'm so much stronger than everybody else. I'm leaving you suckers in the dust and take off. No, no, you, you gather your community around you and, you, and, and, and more, hopefully you get to a point, this is where kind of spiritual maturity come in, comes in, but hopefully you get to a point to where you, you find more joy in the accomplishment and the maturing of others than in the, than in the exercising of your own gifts. Did you hear what I just said? Because that's, that's big, and it's something that we all need to, to shoot for, that you get to a point where you find more joy in the accomplishment and in the maturing of others than you do in the exercising of your own gifts. That is critical, critical. And so, we, so, so this is the direction that Paul's encouraging us into right now. So he says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Not everything's a deal breaker. Not every hill's worth dying on, right? Verse 2, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. <laughs> that is such an easy target. <laughs> That's such an easy target. In Northern California, it's such an easy target. All right. By the way, speaking... <laughs> yes, this is... Okay, I'm... I'm this, I knew my brain's a mess this morning. I'm rabbit, rabbit trailing this morning. Yesterday when I went to leave for LA, and uh, again, very last minute arrangements and stuff, but I get out yesterday morning uh, and, uh, you know, take my van to fill it up and get on the road, and I do the quick check because I'm, you know, heading down the road for quite a ways, and so, you know, I'm checking the oil and stuff. I do a quick walk around, and I noticed... In the rear of my van, I had a, a tire way balder than I thought it was, and it had a little gash in the sidewall. And I was like, "There's no way this is going to make it to L.A." So, but nobody, none of the, so I'm you know hustling. None of the tire shops around town could get me in, and so I ended up driving to Davis and just renting a car. But since there was no reservation, all they had was giant pickups, and so I drove this Dodge uh, Bighorn all the way to L.A. and back. OU cap, OU t-shirt, the biggest truck on the road, just looking the part, man, just looking the part. It was great. I loved it. I felt like king of the road. So anyway, um, so you see how that ties into eating only vegetables. Anyway, so um, he says, verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. The implication there is that God has accepted them both. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. 
and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So Paul brings out this principle. He starts off around food. This, we're going to skip the next paragraph where he, he, he also expands that into certain people view certain days as holy, and certain, you know, some, to some people every day is holy, you know, that sort of thing. So what he's doing here is he, he, when he's talking about food laws and holy days laws and things like that, He's referencing the Jewish people, right? He's referencing people who grew up in Jewish faith, who are now Christians, but still hold on very tightly to those Jewish traditions, very tightly to them. So they're still under all those food laws. They're still self-imposing that on themselves. They're still, you know, wanting to worship on uh, only on the Sabbath day, or, or you know, or to to keep all the Sabbath laws, or or whatever that might might look like. They're doing all of this stuff, and he's like, but this, but did you see what he did? He says, verse 2, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So, and I think if, if you're like me, in my mind, when we look at each other, we might assume the ones who put the most restrictions on themselves are the stronger spiritually. I'm going to choose not to drink. I'm going to choose not to chew. I'm going to choose not to go with girls that do. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to choose, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put all these restrictions on me. And, and, and so to the world looking at you, uh, you know, looking at you from the outside, they might think, wow, that is one holy person. They don't do anything. Right. And did, but did you see what Paul said? Paul says, no, 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 that weak person who puts all those restrictions on themselves, that weak person, he's like, we who are strong, we who are strong should not hold them, those people in contempt. We who are strong should come alongside of those people and, and not, not cause them to stumble in their faith. And, and we're going to get into that more in just a second. But there's this concept, at least in Paul's mind and in God's mind, uh, you know, by association, that it's not the amount of strict restrictions that you put on yourself that makes you strong. It's how greatly you can walk in the freedom that God has given you that makes you strong. And man, we don't, man, modern church does not teach that enough. Do you guys know, and Paul's going to get into it here in just a second, do you guys know and recognize the freedom that you have in Christ? Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying restrict, you know, personal restrictions, personal boundaries. I'm not saying that stuff is bad. All of us need to have them, and you, and, and you know, need to judge yourself and know yourself and know what restrictions, what boundaries you need to set up in your own life, what's healthy for you, or what, what you feel like the Holy Spirit has called you to set up in your life. That's a very different thing, too. But he's going to get into it here in just a second. There's nothing in and of itself that necessarily makes it bad. Look what he says. Uh, we're going to skip down to verse 12. He says, so then each of us will give an account of, God, of ourselves to God. Therefore, <clears throat> let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a, any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. Now, where he says there, I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. I think what he's, what he's doing, he's conjuring up a memory of a teaching of Jesus where Jesus uh, was teaching his disciples because they didn't understand uh, how, you know, what he was talking to. You know, Jesus got into this quarrel with some of the religious leaders of that day and, and, uh, and basically told them, you know, it's not, it's not what 
It's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your mouth that makes you unclean. And then the disciples are asking, what does this mean? He's like, Jesus is like, are you guys so dim that you don't understand that the stuff you put, that put into your mouth comes out? This is literally what Jesus said. That the stuff you put into, you know, in one end, out the other. So it's not that stuff that makes you unclean because the body takes care of that. If it is unclean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to leave you anyway, right? He's like, no, no, the stuff that makes you unclean is the stuff that, that, that comes out of your heart and out of your mouth because, because it really shows what your character is. And Paul is here kind of thinking back on that teaching. He's going, I've been persuaded by Jesus that nothing in and of itself is unclean. But if, if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. Verse 15, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your own, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Listen to that phrase again. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let uh, what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Skip down to verse 22. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but, all, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So, okay, let me break this down for you. What Paul is saying is that we are free in Christ Jesus. We have freedom in Christ Jesus. We don't have to worry about food laws anymore. We don't have to worry about Sabbath laws anymore. We don't have to, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, there, there was a big push, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it seemed like in the church where every, everybody, every pastor was really emphasizing uh, Sabbath. You, you guys, you know, Sabbath is in the Ten Commandments. You still need to be keeping the Sabbath, that sort of thing. Actually, the Word, word of God in the New Testament tells us that, no, we're not, we're not held to that Sabbath law. That was a God's covenant with Israel. It's not God's covenant with us. We're held to a different standard, a different law. Is there anything wrong with keeping Sabbath? No. If you want to keep Sabbath, keep Sabbath. But that's not what we're about. That's not the marker of our faith. We have different markers. We have markers of baptism and communion and love. That's, that's the markers of our faith, right? And so, so that's the standard that we're called to live to. But, he, but he's, like, he's like, you've got these people, though, that for them it's a very big deal. This is what was happening, that back in this time in, in the Roman Empire, there were all these temples where animals were being sacrificed to all these false gods, right? Well, after they did, did these sacrifices, they would take the meat of those animals from those sacrifices and then sell them at a discounted price on the, in the market, right? And it was very common for somebody to just go, at, go get a good deal on a, on a steak and bring it home. It had been sacrificed to an idol or whatever, but it was still a good piece of meat, and so they would bring it home and cook it and that sort of thing. But to some... In, in the Jewish faith especially, they would look at that and go, whoa, you're telling me this thing I'm eating was offered up to a false god? And it would just, oh my gosh, they felt like they were breaking the Ten Commandments. They, felt, they just felt horrible about it. Uh, or some in the Roman Empire who had left those false gods behind, did not want to associate with those false gods at all, would go, oh, I can't, I can't eat this, this steak if it, if, knowing that it was sacrificed to a false god. I, I'm, 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 I'm committed to Christ alone now. 
And so I want to I separate myself from that life. So some people felt on either side of that spectrum felt very convicted about that. Same thing around the holy days and the Sabbaths and things like that. Some people felt very convicted around those things. And Paul's advice is, hey, here's the deal. You're free to eat whatever you want. You're free to recognize a holy day or just keep every day holy. You're free to do all that. Christ has set you free from that legalism. He's set you free from that law. He's, he's, he's placed a new law on your heart. You've been set free from that. However, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is really leading you to put certain boundaries around your life or certain restrictions on your life, then follow the word of the Holy Spirit in your life. But here's the thing. Just because the Holy Spirit is leading you to do it does not mean he's leading the entire church to do it. And this is a principle that we really need to learn in church life. Do you guys understand that Christ might call me to a standard of living that he doesn't call you to? Christ might call you to a standard of living that he doesn't call me to. And we can coexist in the same church and still call each other brother and sister, and we don't have to judge each other. But this is what human nature does. Human nature wants to go, well, if I can't do it, then you can't do it. What do you mean? What do you mean? You're going to do that thing when God so clearly spoke to me about it? Right? And we get this. And, 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 and so this is where that dynamic of weak and strong people in the church come in. But I, Paul says, here's the deal. If you know that your, in this case, eating of this meat is causing your brother or sister to stumble in their faith, in other words, it's really wrecking their faith, then the gospel trumps your freedom. And so give up your freedom for the sake of the brother or sister that you love. Now, I want to clarify, that's a really important stand and position for us to take as followers of Jesus Christ. I will I'll hold even my freedoms with an open hand, and for the sake of my love for you, I'm willing to sacrifice my own freedoms if it's going to cause you to mess up your faith. Because I don't want you to mess up your faith. I love Jesus and you love Jesus and I want us to all get there together, right? I, I, like, I, I, don't want to, I, don't, I don't want to be the person that screws up your faith. The problem is, is that in modern churches, and I'm sure it was true back then too, the church is not so much full of just simply weak and strong. There's this third category and I, I would call it, these people fall in the category of the second coming of the Pharisee. The second coming of the Pharisee. It's not that they're strong. It's not that they're weak. They just want to hold things over everybody's head and go, if I can't do it, you can't do it. In fact, if I can't do it, I'm going to make sure you can't do it. I'm going to accuse you of doing it, even maybe if you're not doing it. All this, and this is a second coming. It's not... These aren't people whose faith is being wrecked. These are people who are, who, whose faith is secure and, and, and planted firmly in the Lord. They have no intention of going anywhere. And no matter what you do and how you live, it's not going to affect. They're not going to leave the church. They're not going anywhere. So it's not about a weakness issue. It's just about they're just buttheads. They're just buttheads. They're just people who can't, who can't not be in everybody's business. And Paul, in fact, Jesus, the way he lives his life, that's one of the things I appreciate so much about Jesus, that he lives this life of, of love and acceptance and forgiveness and harsh, harsh words for Pharisees, right? Harsh words for Pharisees, harsh. 
And I love that about Jesus because it gives me permission to do the same thing. <laughs> it gives us permission to do the same thing. I know, I know we, we need to be loving, and I know we need to be forgiving, and we need to be all of that. But sometimes we also need to call people on their stuff. Sometimes we just need to call people out on their idiocy and go, this is not right. This is not from God. This is just from your pride and your ego. This is just you power tripping. This has no, in fact, this has no place in the body of Christ. And you have brought it in here like some sort of cancer in an unhealthy way. Shame on you. Shame on you. The life you're living and the life you're demanding of everybody else around you is actually contrary to the gospel. It's not propping up the gospel. And so we need to learn the difference. Now, for the weak brother, who, I mean, if you've got somebody, I always do it. You guys heard me say last week, I made some sort of reference to sitting out on my porch and smoking a cigar. And, and, I, and, and I know, you know, the smoking, especially, again, in, in California, that can be a tricky issue or whatever. But, but it's something that I do. It's, something, it's, it's, something, it's not something I force on anybody else. And if I've got somebody sitting with me and talking, and I know they've given up smoking, and they're trying to stay faithful to that habit, then I'm not going to light up and, and, and you know, offer or whatever. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I, don't want, I, I want to support them and what they're trying to do with their life. I'm not going to put that in their face, right? And let me tell you another way this plays out at my house. I, you know, I have the freedom, and we all have the freedom to enjoy a little alcohol from time to time. It's okay to have a beer with your pizza. It's okay to share a beer with a friend. It's okay to do that kind of stuff. That's, that's perfectly fine. For some of you, you'll make a choice not to do that. And it's the right choice for you. It's the guy I, I watched the game with last night, he tends to say no to alcohol because a drunk driver took the life of his sister. So for him, it's a no-brainer. I'm not going to do that. I'm not ever going to even put myself in a position where that might possibly cause me to do that to someone else ever, right? That's a no-brainer for him, and I'll support him in that decision and love him and all that kind of stuff, and, and, and that's, a, that's a good and proper thing. The Holy Spirit has led him to that decision. So for, for, for me, where I feel like I have the freedom to have an occasional beer or whatever, I invited a little girl to live in our house and become my daughter, who's got a lot of trauma in her background, and for her, for her alcohol is a trigger in that trauma, when she sees a can of beer, when she sees a bottle of wine, when she sees any of that, it triggers the trauma that she's been through. So I'm not going to be the jerk dad and say, hey, deal with it. I got a fridge full of beer. No, instead, I'm going to be the good dad who goes, okay, then I'm not going to have beer around here anymore. I'm going to do that. Why? Because I don't want to cause that beautiful little girl that I love so much and have embraced as my daughter to stumble in her life or in her faith or, or whatever just be, for the sake of exercising my freedom. It's important for us to rally around the weak and support them in the, in the things that they're... And he, by the way, here's the thing. We're, in, some, in some area of your life, you're the weak. All of us. In some area of your life, you're the weak. And you would hope people would support you in areas that you're weak, and we need to do the same thing for others. But for those in the room who just really enjoy the power tripping and really enjoy, you know, mandating your standard of living over everybody else and it's above the Bible. And I always say this, like the Bible is hard enough all by itself to live by without you adding stuff to it. Why do we need to add stuff to the Bible? I, I grew up in a religious environment where people were constantly adding rules to the Bible. Couldn't play cards. Where's that in the Bible, right? Couldn't, uh, I, I, I couldn't dance because 
you know, whatever. Why? Why? Yeah, premarital sex. No, no premarital sex because it leads to dancing, right? And, and you know, all these things, all these rules, all this kind of stuff, you know, whatever. I, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. But anyway, like it's just this constant rule on top of rule on top of rule that's not in the Bible. And the Bible's hard enough to live to all of its own. We don't need people calling us to round up all of our CDs and all of our albums and burn them because they're not produced by a Christian label, right? We don't need that stuff in our life. It's extra biblical. It's not helpful. Now, if God calls you personally to do that, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is impressing upon you, I want to get rid of all this music that maybe is messing with my head or whatever, and I'm going to take that. I'm going to, but, but you don't mandate the bonfire on the whole church. That's okay that God called you to do that and, and, and set up some sort of boundary or something in your life that way. It's okay for you to do that. But we don't mandate those calls on everybody. You know what we mandate on everybody? Just the Word of God. That's it. And it's enough, isn't it? It's enough. It's absolutely enough. Look at Romans 15. Verse 1, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not just to please ourselves. Skip down to verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, accept one another. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promise made to the patriarchs, talking about Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and all those guys, the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it was written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I'll sing the praises of your name. And then skip down to verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. He's like, this is a good thing that we're involved in. It's an earth-shattering, life-changing thing that we're involved in, that God has brought his salvation not just to the Jews, but to the entire world. And you get to be involved in that mission. You get to be involved in the sharing of that gospel. You get to be involved in that project. God has involved you in it, so do it well, and do it to his glory. There's, I'll wind it down with this, but there is a one of my favorite stories in the Bible is, uh, it's a weird one. I don't know why it's one of my favorites, but it's a weird one. Anyway, so Paul was this big-time preacher against legalism, against, you know, the Jews who would go around behind him saying, you still got to keep all the Jewish laws and all, you know, you got to keep Sabbath and you, get, you, you can only eat these foods and you got to be circumcised too, too. We can't just get rid of circumcision and all that kind of stuff. And he was a big proponent. In fact, the whole book of Galatians is all about that big proponent of, no, no, we can leave that stuff behind because we live under a new law and the law is just simply love, love. And so if we can walk in that love, then you don't have to walk in that old law, you know, and all that, all that kind of stuff like that. And so he writes this whole book of Galatians almost entirely about the, con, you know, the, the topic of circumcision, how new Christians don't have to be circumcised. It's not that thing, you know, we're not under that covenant anymore and all that kind of stuff. And all the men in the church are like, amen. And they're happy about that and that sort of thing. But there's this little detail in, uh, in the book of Acts where 
Paul goes to, a, you know, goes to set up mission in a particular city. And as, when, he was, when he would go to a new city, he would always start at the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues. And he would start there because they have the base of the story of God to start with. And it just made sense. And so he would start there. He had his, his buddy with him, his, his son in the faith, Timothy, who was a Roman citizen and, you know, a Greek, all that kind of stuff. And he had him with him on this journey. And as he goes to this new city to, set, to start telling people about Jesus in the synagogue, Paul, the big proponent of, you know, circumcision is not needed, all this kind of stuff. Paul, that guy, calls Timothy aside. He's like, hey, dude, we got to talk. He says, um, we're getting ready to go up in the synagogue. And um, they're not going to listen to us if you're with me because you're uncircumcised. And uh, Timothy's palms start to sweat. And uh, he's like, I know I'm the no circumcision guy. I know I've been preaching that message far and wide. I've written letters about it. I know all that. But I want to ask you a favor. I want to ask you a favor, Timothy. Would you mind laying down your freedom to not be circumcised just so that we can go up in that synagogue and tell people about Jesus and that the gospel would go out? And Timothy won the award for Christian of the Century by saying, okay, I'll do that. Now, that's some heavy stuff. That's some heavy stuff. So we as followers of Jesus Christ need to occasionally be willing to lay down even our freedoms for the sake of the gospel going forward. Why? Because the gospel trumps all. The gospel trumps all. It trumps your weakness. It trumps your strength. It trumps your favorite pet project. It trumps all. So if anything about my life even though I have the freedom to do it all, if anything about my life might be possibly hindering the gospel, hitting the ears of somebody that God has called me to speak to, then I'm letting that thing go. It's a no-brainer. Because why? Because I'm committed first and foremost above all in my life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to be a people who, who value not so much the letter of the law, getting into all the details of you know, what's, what's right and what's wrong, but people who value more than anything the spreading of the gospel and telling people about Jesus. And we will be strong. What is it Paul said? To the strong I became strong. To the weak I became weak. To the Jew I became a Jew. To the Gentile I became a Gentile. If it was going to help the gospel to go forward for me to you know, not eat shrimp, then I wasn't eating shrimp. If it was going to help the gospel go forward for me to practice the Sabbath day, then I was going to practice the Sabbath. Paul was like, I will become all, what do you say? I'll become all things to all men so that I might win a few. And we need to be, uh, what, what was Jesus tells us to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. We need to be able to judge the surroundings around us and go, what version of me right now will be able to get the gospel out in the most effective way. So I'm not the, you know, only vegetable guy. But if only vegetables is going to help people accept Christ, then, then guess what? I'm the only vegetable guy. <laughs> Pharisee. So anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, we need to be all things to all people so that we might win a few. And sometimes that means the laying down even of our freedoms.
That's hard. It's a hard thing to be called to. But, but, you know, here's the thing. There's been plenty of times in my life where I've had to lay down what I consider freedom just because I knew it was going to block up the gospel effort that I was trying to, you know, that I was following God in. So we need to be willing to do that. And some of those might be some sacred cows. It might be some things that you hold on to sacredly. Some ideas that you hold on to sacredly. And God might be saying, you know what? Loosen your grip on that thing so that the gospel can go out. Loosen your grip on that thing just so that the gospel can go out. The Holy Spirit will worry about the rest. The Holy Spirit will convict. The Holy Spirit will do what he has to do. You be all things to all people so that a few might be saved. It's hard. It's not easy. sounds good. makes a great t-shirt and a great bumper sticker, but it's hard to live out. That's the thing I love about this book is that it's not just platitudes. It's real life, real gospel being lived out in real ways amongst a real congregation just like us. Just like us. People from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different values, all different priorities. But somehow we managed to make it work. We managed to make it work. Why? Because you know what? If you need me to be weak, I'll be weak. If you need me to be strong, I'll be strong. You're my brother. You're my sister. That's what matters most. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for your word to us today. And I thank you that... Um, even in my weakness, you're made strong. And um, I give you lots of opportunities to be strong. Um, God, give me a clear enough head and a healthy enough um, ego to be able to look beyond myself and see what's best for my brothers and sisters and for those around me see what's best for this community that you've called me to live on mission in and uh, give me the love for you and the respect for your gospel to be able to become all things to all people so that a few might come to know you give me wisdom in that give us all wisdom sometimes those are hard decisions and we don't know if it's hard to know whether we're being called legalistically away from freedoms or if you're calling us to give some things up for the sake of those who might hear the gospel. Sometimes it's a hard decision to make. So help us lean on each other for wisdom in those decisions and try to figure, live that out in community together. God, I thank you that when you called us to be Christians, you didn't make some cookie-cutter mold that we all had to fit into. I thank you that you call me to live out certain things in my life that you don't call other people to and vice versa, God, that you, you know what? You're not just the God who sends humanity reeling off into space and some sort of one-size-fits-all faith, but you deal with us individually. You love us so much in the same way that we know all of our children are individuals and all have different strengths and weaknesses and need specific things from us. God, you deal individually with us and you know where we need to lean on you for strength and where we can run and fly and, and all, you know that about us and, and, you, and you set up boundaries and things in our life accordingly and thank you so much for loving us in such a specific way. And so God, we offer ourselves to you one more time and we ask you that if there's anything about our lives that we need to let go of for the sake of the gospel, then speak to us about that. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us about that. And God, 
also if there's any legalistic thing in our life that we've been hanging on to tightly that you're trying to tell us, I've given you the freedom to let that go, live freely in that area of your life. God, let your Holy Spirit speak to us about that too. So we love you. And we offer ourselves to you one more time and we ask you to just take us and use us to advance your kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. All right. Everybody have a great week. Boomer Sooner.